Hello, hello, hello. I love today's guest. Today's guest is always in my phone. She feels like a friend because she lives in my pocket, like a little, like a little leprechaun. Or who was that? Who was that girl that was very tiny? Thumbelina. Thumbelina. I don't remember the story, but I feel like it ended badly for Thumbelina. Today's episode is not about Thumbelina. It is about Emily in your phone. Emily Amick. Emily is a lawyer, a journalist, former counsel to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Maybe you've heard of him. And she is the lady behind the viral political Instagram account. Emily is a must-watch for me. She dissects political news. She's an absolute genius at breaking down complicated and sometimes boring political issues for everyday people right on social media. She is there. She is there where you are. And I think that this is such an incredible lesson for old school media organizations who poo-poo social media. Instagram and TikTok are where a lot of people want to get their news. And they get bad news. They get bad information most of the time because real journalists think they're too good for these platforms. Emily does not. She knows that the social media train has left the station and she is meeting you where you are. Now, here's a little thing about politics. I like to disclose my own biases. I used to be a political reporter for a couple different places, but namely for current TV. Do any of you remember that fun little progressive experiment with Al Gore? And Gavin Newsom, he of the really excellent hair, his hair looks that good in person. And let me tell you something, it doesn't move. It doesn't. I covered a lot of campaigns, covered a lot of elections. I was on the John Edwards bus in Iowa for the caucus one year. That was weird. Also, John Cougar Mellencamp was there. I can tell you one thing. I would not be a political reporter right now for fucking anything in the world. I wouldn't. I couldn't do it. In fact, I have another friend who used to be a politics reporter, and she also covered war zones, and she told me she'd rather go back to war than cover this year's election cycle. So anyone who can do this, fucking kudos, man. Fucking kudos. Now, Emily in your phone also has a shared interest with me. She also thinks a lot about tradwives, but not just tradwives. Emily thinks a lot and talks a lot about how conservative forces are very, very good at social media and very, very good at packaging things into beautiful images. We're going to get into all of it. I'm so excited to have Emily on the podcast today. And also, she just gave me her phone number. So now we text and I put her on my phone as Emily in my phone. I'm that, yeah, cheesy as fuck. Cheesy as fuck, people. Totally. So hi, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited because usually, uh, you know, as your name suggests, you're in my phone. You know, and here I am in virtual real life. Virtual real life. You're, you're in my computer now, which I is am. very exciting for me. For our audience who doesn't know you and what you do, can you give me the quick and dirty about what Emily in your phone is? Sure. So I uh, used to be a counsel to... Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And I, since that time, have been in private practice and started Emily in Your Phone to really help people just get a better understanding about what's going on in politics, to give my insider information to the people and sort of empower people to make the political change that they want to see happen. And I love that. And I think you and I probably know 
a thousand of the same people from me being at the Daily News for yes. so long. Yes. Yeah. Um, so many yeah. people. You know, so and, many people. And we also probably share a similar fixation, which is the conservative influencer universe. And uh, I am very, very I have been obsessed with Instagram for a very, very long time. Uh, it has been my my hobby for like a decade plus. And I have been watching the conservative influencer universe grow and change and mutate for all of these years. So I love the opportunity to talk about people, talk to people about my special interest ostensibly. Well, I'm I'm here to give you that opportunity. I am I'm just, you know, serving it up on a platter for you. I am. But before we do that, I do want to say I I think I mean as as a former newspaper reporter and reporter for a lot of different places, I think constantly about how people get news and how they're gonna I mean, how it's going to completely change every minute in the future. And I love what you're doing to make to bring news to people where they are to bring information to people where they are, which is staring at their phones. Yeah. You know, and I started my career as a journalist. I went to journalism school. I worked at a newspaper, um, the Aniston Star, and in Aniston, Alabama. And, you know, even back then, uh, I was having a lot of conversations. This was in 1894. And um, I was having lots of conversations about the future of news. And the future of news is disaggregated. People want to get news from someone they trust, and they want to get it in a way that makes sense to them. And I think that a lot of what we've seen from people is fighting against this. People are very clinging to the version of news that they grew up with. Um, and I think it's sort of ridiculous <laughs> to do that, right? Like people want to consume things the way they want to consume them. And why shouldn't we give it to them and give it to them in a way that's fact-based and helpful and productive and in an emotional tone that works for the reader? But it's certainly possible. And social media is the greatest information distributor that we've ever had, right? Like it's phenomenally powerful. And what we've seen so far is like powerful forces that want to use it for evil and that want to use it to make money because capitalism be capitalismizing. Capitalism uh, will always be capitalisming. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we've seen that so far, but that doesn't mean it's not going away. Like I have the conversation a lot where I'm like, the train has left the station. <laughs> like, we can't unring this fucking bell. Can we I swear can, on this podcast? You can swear so okay. much on this podcast. Um, yes. I'd great. be sad. I'd be sad if you didn't, to be uh, honest. I think that my Instagram audience may not know that real Emily has the mouth of a sailor. Um, oh my gosh. That reminds me of the time that I was like hanging out in hair and makeup with Katie Corrick. She was in the hair and makeup chair next to me and she cursed like a fucking yeah, sailor. I have heard and that. Like, Wow. I'm like, I love you, Katie Corrick. This made me love you more. Thank right. you. Thank you yeah. for this. Um, I'm a fan. And uh, and I don't remember what I was saying because I got distracted with swear words. <laughs> um, well, that your audience doesn't know you curse like a sailor. Yeah. But yes, the train has left the station, right? And also, I think that we need to be, and you do such a great job of this with, with um, your side piece of talking about the conservative Instagrammers. Um, we need to be cultural critics of what is happening on social media, too. We have to call out power and we have to call out influence in a way that I think largely gets ignored by mainstream both media and academia. Yeah. And I think one of the ways I approach and, you know, my Instagram is my hobby, right? Like this is something I do because it brings me joy. And I assume all of my followers are really fucking smart. And mm -hmm. I assume that they are essentially my bestie and we are having a conversation. And sometimes when I see a, a lot of the work of, that's anti-misinformation, it's like scolding. It's like, 
you're so stupid. How did you not know this was real? It's like, shut up. Stop being such a jerk. Stop being Um, a jerk. Totally. You know, I want to have a conversation with my audience, but like what I see happening and have um, a conversation about like, what is the big picture behind all of this? And because I have access to all of this political information and because I have essentially 20 years of doing this work, I've sort of seen it because at the end of the day, it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you finally pick up on it. Um, And so I try to just have that conversation with my audience. And I think part of this is also being willing to uh, actually listen to what these people are saying, (laughs) which sometimes we are not willing to do. C.I.E. 2016 election. Um, But, you know, I think that there is it is really, really important to point and name exactly what the right is doing, especially online and where they are trying to take us, which is a very bad place. It's it's a it's a bad place. So let's start with that. Talk to me a little bit about what you see of where the right is taking us online. Yeah. And I'll, I'll start this with the caveat that like the right is a big thing. It's obviously not a single thing. There's different people on the right who are you know, big R Republicans hold different perspectives. And the question, you know, when I talk about Republicans, what I'm talking about is Republican leadership and what I see as the controlling faction of the party and the controlling faction of the ideological movement, right, which at the moment is MAGA, it's Donald Trump, and it's all of his acolytes. And what I see happening is that MAGA is but a step towards Christian nationalism, that the eventual goal is Christian nationalism. And I, and I don't really say that to be hyperbolic. It's, it's legitimately what I see happening. Um, and part of this has been because I'm in sort of not the true depths of, like, truly, I am not on, like, Truth Social or anything like that. I'm just on Instagram um, mm-hmm. and sometimes Twitter and threads. But what I see them talking about amongst themselves. And it is this vision of an America in which it, men are men, women are women, um, True men uh, hold complete and utter authority over their uh, domains, which means the president's an authoritarian, right? And they use violence to maintain that authoritarianism. And women are women. And that means women don't have access to any reproductive choices. Um, There is none of the protections for people of color, uh, you know, women, anything in the workplace, right? Like all of those things are pushed to the wayside and they return to their idealized version of history whence the Constitution was written, in which the men in power have complete, absolute power. Yep, yep. That is, that's exactly the same thing I'm seeing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that, right, what we see, we see this information is not merely just from uh, tweets from D.C. Drano, right? Like, this is, we see this as part of their legal strategy that they've been working on for 50 years, right? Like, we see this in who is becoming powerful in the Republican Party, who is ascending, right? Like, uh, uh, Speaker Johnson is not, he's not no one, right? Like, the guy is Speaker of the House. They chose him. And we know what his history is. We know what his political perspective is. We know who his allies are who helped him get there. Like, there's different, we see what they're doing with their media empire and their disaggregated media empires, right? Like, we see what they're doing with churches. Turning Point USA has an entire faith-based um, component of their programming that is growing bigger and bigger every day. And frankly, like the, the degree to which faith-based organizations and specifically Christian evangelical organizations who have a very particular interpretation of what uh, biblical conservatism is, uh, you know, we see what that 
what they're trying to achieve. And we, we're taking it's all these pieces of information that we are putting together in addition to the actual laws that they are trying to get passed in states across this country. It's a dangerous place to have an electorate that doesn't know that, mostly because I think that our news media has become so fragmented. And that's why I think the thing, that the things you're doing are, are so important. Again, reaching people where they're at. So once again, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for lady. seeing it. Yes, I see you. I do. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the influences from influencers, from and especially female influencers. Every time you post about trad wives or some of these more far right uh, evangelical Christian influencers, my entire audience sends me your your reel every single time. Every single you then you were really in my phone. You were just up in my grill in my phone. Um, Dreams do come true. Right? Because everything you post about it is so smart. So talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in the lay of the land of the trad wives. So look, I'm a middle-aged white woman. Um, I actually do live in a city, though everything about me says suburbia. Um, Like, I'm a bitch who loves a Target. Um, Love a Target. You know what else I love? I love an Olive Garden. Oh, I haven't been to Olive Garden in a while. You Um, should go because I went went recently and the unlimited breadsticks are not (laughs) nothing. They are not nothing. Um, I, I have a strong theory that like you have to go to a suburban Olive Garden for it to be good. Like a city based Olive Garden is not a good Olive Garden. No, that Um, one in Times Square is bullshit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, so my point of saying that is to say, like, I am being targeted by the same algorithm that a lot of my followers and your followers are being targeted by. And I am feel like it has created the same emotional resonance in me that I'm hearing from so many people. And I think this is largely because what the right does so well is develop talking points and ideologies that respond to vibes, right? And the vibes right now are like, I I cannot deal with this life that I have been assigned. There is too much going on, too much cacophony. I feel like this can't be how we should be living, which is 100% true. Like we are not intended to have this much information being thrown at us and have like living be this much of a struggle. Um, and, you know, the economic stratification in this country is all time high, et cetera, et cetera. Wages. Um, it is a hard fucking life. And they're like, hey, we have a solution for you. And let me just tell you, it'll solve all your problems. And it's you just like move to a homestead and you give like your life over to this man and he will make excellent decisions because men are renowned for making excellent decisions. Um, and you know, you'll just bake sourdough and take care of your beautiful children who will never have any health problems, even though you don't provide them any health care. And you'll live this wonderful life. Or, or vaccinate them. Right. Or vaccinate them. No. Yes. And, and no yeah. masks, right? Like, and all this. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of the content that I started receiving. And I had been following a lot of right-wing, conservative, homestead, um, homeschool influencers for a while. And the difference that I saw was those people were always fringe and they had fringe audiences and they have moved to mainstream. And what I saw is a lot of those people, when you really follow down the pipeline, they have some connection to uh, either a religious cause or a Republican cause that has helped move them along towards the way and, and helped proffer, you know, promote that, whether that's because they get advertising revenue from specific companies that I know are right wing companies, because that's something we've seen really, really big on the right is that they've created their own, um, you know, shopping infrastructure 
they're creating their own Amazon. They have their own diaper brand. They have all of this stuff their own. And then those people also, uh, those companies pay Republican influence, conservative influencers, trad wife influencers to post content, right? Like they've created their yep. own ecosystem yep. to get more content out there. And this, in, in my mind, what I quickly connected it to was the legal and political strategy that we've seen from the right and what they want to see happen with women. And that is they want to see women not have access to the rights and resources that make it possible to be a woman living in the 20, what are we in the 21st century now? I think um, it's 21st. Right? Um, you know, and, and I don't think the goal of this is to get all women to agree that this is the way. It's to just get enough women, enough women to vote via the terrible primary process we have in this country, via the terrible electoral college we have in this country, right, to get enough women to support politicians who will then bring about this change in our country. And I think that's a distinction that's sometimes hard to make. Like, I, I'm not arguing that they're trying to get everyone to do it. They're just trying to get the point of the spear to do it, to believe that this is like a good path and to be, you know, if you fundamentally believe all birth control is a toxic poison that wants to destroy your body, you're like, fine. <laughs> you want to take you it? Do you do you. Right. You're like, I don't care. Yeah. Your body, your choice, man. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are they're setting the stage for a group of people to fundamentally support this the ideology behind Christian nationalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is what a lot of people don't see. You see beautiful pictures you see or, you know, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're beautiful. I have a hard time saying that. But, you know, what we've been told to perceive as beautiful. You see these pictures and these images of motherhood that is not as messy as what real motherhood is. And it's attractive in the same way that a magazine is nice to thumb through on an airplane or in the bathroom. And you don't realize what you're being spoon-fed on the back end. And I think that's what's the most dangerous part of it. Right. I mean, look, this is like the same way that they, they don't want abortion to be legal. And you're going to go to a crisis pregnancy center and they're going to tell you all the horrible things that are going to happen if you get an abortion. But then they're not going to do anything than provide you like one set of diapers. Right. The the movement as a whole and this that's not everybody. That's not every church in the country. But as a whole, the movement is essentially saying, like, we're not here to help you in the long run. We're just here to have you make the decision we want you to make. And that's the same as motherhood. Right. Like they, they just want you to choose motherhood. They don't really care what happens along the way. Like, they don't care if you have access to uh, WIC to be able to feed your baby. They don't care if you have access to, uh, you know, child care, affordable child care. Um, well, you're not working, so you don't need child care, I guess. But, um, you know, they don't care if you have access to parks and recreation in your community. Because at the end of the day, you should be going to church. You shouldn't be going to a public park. Um, all of these things, right, that we as communities need, they don't care if you're happy. They don't care if your child's happy. They don't even want your child attending public schools. So it doesn't matter if there's good public schools. They want your child homeschooled or in a Christian, uh, you know, uh, private school that's funded through vouchers. So um, I, I think that that's a big part of the equation. And sometimes people think it's I, I get a lot of DMs that are like they're being hypocritical. I'm like, no, this is what they mean. <laughs> they don't care. What the right has done is for the past decade invest in social media and it's disaggregated it's not like a, it's not a single organization turning point has really um excelled at it but it's not only them there's lots and lots of groups that are doing this and they have invested in creating a lot of noise we are going to take a quick break here and when we get back we're going to talk about all that noise 
all the noise. Under the Influence is brought to you by Quince. Quince. It rhymes with Prince, which I love because I am a huge Prince fan. And also a very big Quince fan. So Quince is where I now go for a lot of different luxury essentials. They're really great clothing and home goods, all at really affordable prices. Now here is the funny thing about Quince. I knew they might be coming on as a sponsor for the show, and so I started mentioning it to my friends, because we don't do host-read things that we don't love. Apparently, all of my friends have been like these secret Quince users, but they haven't been telling me about it. They're like, oh yeah, these pants are from Quince, and this awesome blazer, and this really affordable cashmere sweater. And I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me this? Apparently everyone else has been buying a lot of Quince and just not sharing. Not sharing. Sharing is caring, friends. Come on, tell me when you get something great. I am not a secret Quince fan. I fucking love these guys. I do. They offer an insanely wide range of high-quality items at prices that are not going to kill you. They're not. Their prices are within reach, like the 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters from $50. $50. They're like 80% cheaper than similar brands. Quince has also done a really good job of partnering directly with top factories, and they've cut out the cost of the middleman and passed the savings on to us, which is a good thing. Another good thing is that they only work with factories that are safe, ethical, and responsible fancy that. Right? Right? I recently ordered two pairs of pants from them because I'm doing more of the working out or at least putting on the clothes that I might work out in. So I ordered their yoga pants and their joggers. And these joggers are so comfortable that I did not take them off for many days. Many days. And maybe that is gross. Or maybe it's just because they're that comfortable. Kept wearing them. Kept wearing them, my friends. They were cozy and soft and I just want to live in them. And the yoga pants made my butt look very, very good. It made my butt look much more like a 30-year-old butt and not like a 40-year-old lady butt. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Frankly, they look a lot better than the very expensive athleisure brands that I've been buying for way too long. So I think that you should do what I'm doing and give yourself the luxury that you deserve. You deserve it. We talk about this all the time. You deserve nice things. Go to quince.com slash influence for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That is quince, rams with prince, dot com slash influence for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's a very long time. Very long time. Quince.com slash influence. Get yourself something nice. Okay, now we are also going to talk about what you should put under your clothes. Under them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, this is more honey love love. Honey love, honey love shapewear. I adore these guys. Many of you have seen my author photo in which I'm wearing honey love shorts on the bottom, which you, you can't see because they're under actual pants. But on the top, I'm wearing the honey love bra underneath the blazer and you can see my belly and my boobs look so good. I'm just wearing the bra. The bra looks so good. I am wearing it in my author photo. Some people don't love that, I'm going to tell you, but I love it, and I think I look really hot. I do. The bras are great for a lot of reasons, mostly because they don't have that uncomfortable underwire, but they're still very supportive. They pick my floppy old lady boobs 
right up and just right up. They put them where they need to be. Okay. Honey Love Shapewear shorts are revolutionary. And I've told you this before because of many, many things. They like suck me in and pull me up. So I look all like tight and nice, but also they have a hole so I don't have to take them off to pee and they go up and down with ease. Many, many shapewear brands do not do that. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash influence. Once again, you can use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash influence. And after you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our little show and tell them that we sent you. And we're back. One of the things that I wanted to ask Emily is if this has been strategic from the outset or if people are just trying a lot of different things to see what people like, to see what the algorithm likes, and then doing more and more and more of it. Part of the thing I don't think people sort of realize about the Internet is the degree to which it's like spaghetti at the wall. It's just about creating massive amounts of content and getting tons of people to each individually create tons and tons of content. And that starts things. And then people go off on their own, right? Like the trad wife thing has now reached far beyond the tentacles of Turning Point USA. They are just starting it and keeping that political backbone in play. Um, and so I think part of what the, the left needs to do is produce more content that isn't only focused on progressive activists. When people like political scientists do analysis, of the factions, like political factions, right? Like there's not, it's not merely the left and the right. There's different ways you can categorize the groups. And the left, you know, we have progressive activists, we have the disengaged, we have baseline Democrats, like we have all these different groups of people. We have moderates who at this point vote for Democrat. Um, And, you know, people who are moderate, people who are independent, there's all different ways to define it. But, you know, I think one of the things we need to start doing is creating more content that is directed towards all of these groups of people who are not progressive activists, because the reality is different people want to consume different content, and that is okay. We don't all need to be consuming the same content, but we on the left should be producing more content. You have called Instagram a virtual public square, and posting on your Instagram is a form of political action, and I love that because it's true. This is where we're at. Right. Like we are. This is this is where we're having conversations. Talk to me a little more about that and how you think we can all be influencers, which you've also said we can all influence the people close to us through these platforms. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, this is part of my the train has left the station ideology. There has been this incredibly incredible dismissiveness of social media as this like vacuous place where people only have ridiculous discussions about shoes. Um, which is a whole other conversation that you've had on this platform about how, you know, they're the inherent misogyny that colors people's views of Instagram and the people who post on it. But, um, you know, that is where people are going to see other people talk about issues that matter to them, right? Whether it's Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform that they use. But the idea that, like, it's it's not important continues to baffle me. Um, and like, what is this? What is a public square? It is a place where a bunch of people go and you listen to have to other people having conversations. There's narrative setting. It's where you determine the values of your community. It's where you help determine where your community is headed. And it's through having constant and iterative conversations. And that's what we do on the Internet. And of course, there's 
factors that make it difficult, right? Like there's algorithms that make people um, louder than they should be. Not It's not as if in the like olden times, there weren't certain actors who got a lot more <laughs> uh, speaking time than others. Like we have a significant history of white men being totally in charge of public squares, right? Like it's, it's, yes. It, it's, yes. it's, it's not as if that sort of perversion of the public square is anything new in the history of this country. Um, and so, yes, it is there. But there's also this incredible opportunity. And I think Instagram in particular is one of the best places to have these public square conversations because you are allowed you are able to cultivate a, spe- a specific community in a way that you aren't able to do on other platforms. In political science and politics stuff, there is this really big focus on relational organizing, the idea that like getting a cold call from a stranger isn't going to get you out to vote, but getting a call from someone you know is going to get you out to vote. And the reality is when you are posting on your Instagram, you're posting on your story and your followers are saying that they are getting a call from you, right? Like they are getting an outreach from you about the what you think that they should do. And it's also in a way to have a conversation. And the parasocial relationships, they are very real. Um, and so whether it's someone you actually know or someone who you only have this internet relationship with, it is incredibly meaningful and powerful. And I think something that we can harness, but it's only it only works if like lots of people who hold reasonable views are, are talking about them online and using the platform. And again, like it's not perfect. I am shadow banned constantly. Like, are you? Oh, yeah. I've started I've started to be shadow banned yeah. lately. Yeah. And, I, yeah. you know, and it definitely like it, it, again, I'm. I'm in, in no way, shape, or form like a defender of Meta, <laughs> um, but it is, it, it's it's not as if it's like we're gonna stop people from going on Insta. Like I'm certainly not gonna stop as a consumer, right? Like, th- and I'm not gonna start going to bowling league just no matter how many how much content I get that convinces me my life will be better if I do. Um, no. or it's not bowling league; it's like going to a needlepoint night. But um, yes, yes, you know. I, I, I think that it's sort of like it's the current hand we are being dealt. And it's not as if, right, like I get DMs every day about people who are like, your post on XYZ thing has caused me to make this change in my life. It's not as if you, I'm constantly being reinforced with the idea that posting on the internet about politics does create positive change. And it's not like big things most of the time. It's small things. But all of those small things really, really add up. They really add up. And I want to post an example that you have on your site. Um, Someone sent you a message, and I'm going to read it right now. This is after you encouraged people to speak up on their Instagram. And she said, hi, Emily, I have 200 followers on Instagram and was pretty doubtful that my posts about gun violence and political advocacy were reaching anyone. Today at a play date at the park, a fellow mom asked me about my posts and how she could get involved in advocating to protect our kids. Because of you, I was fully confident to have this conversation. A few hours later, she texted me about loving your phone calls, not flowers campaign. Like, that's not nothing. It's not nothing. That is awesome. And I right? get DMs like that pretty much every single day, um, which is absolutely wild. And I don't quantify it in any meaningful way. Uh, <laughs> I probably should, but I don't want to spend time doing that. I like uh, spending time doing things I love. Um, you know, the... The thing about political action is people really it has been drilled down to these like big issues, right? Like it's about like who's going to win the presidential race. There's nothing I can do that'll change who's going to win the presidential race. But the reality is 
politics is much, much more than the president. It's everyone down to your local city council member, your school board, right? Like we've seen with all of the book banning how critical school boards and library boards are. These are political, you know, institutions that largely went completely ignored until a couple years ago. Um, and to this day, there is still no, uh, there's nowhere that exists that has all of the library boards like on a list. We don't even know how many library boards there are in this country, um, which is wild to me. But I think that the goal is helping people to figure out, A, what is politically meaningful to them, right? Like, it, it, I have my I have my own policy issues that I really care about. But my goal is always to give people the tools to say, like, these are the ones that I really care about. And here's what I can do to act on this in a way that's sustainable for me. Like, if you have two jobs and you have to take care of three kids and your mother-in-law, you're not going to be volunteering two days a week on a campaign. Like, that's ridiculous. But you might be able to make a phone call every week, right? Like, and that is meaningful. You might be able to have conversations with people at your job about the issues that you care about and about the importance of voting and maybe like give them some resources. There's all of these small things that everybody can be doing. And at the end of the day, we still have a democracy. Um, we should all be doing stuff to make sure that we keep that democracy <laughs> in 2025. But, you know, whilst we still have it, we can all move the country in the direction that we want. It's not going to happen immediately, but it happens, uh, you know, in small iterative steps only through people actually doing shit. Through people actually doing shit. And I have a personal example, too. During our recent mayor's race, I was I was supporting an awesome female candidate, Rebecca Reinhart. I loved her. And I volunteered for the campaign to do door knocking. People hate it when you knock on their doors. They just I've never felt so just I've never felt so bad as when I, I get doors slammed in my face of people that I know vote Democrat, of people that I know actually probably would like to support our candidate. Because it, it does feel like an interruption of personal space. So I stopped doing that and started posting on, on my Instagram and said, hey, my DMs are open. I'm here. Ask me any question you have about Rebecca. Let's chat. And that was so much more effective than any door knocking that I could have done. It really was. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the Democratic elite, if they exist, right, like the people who are running, um, you know, Democratic clubs and institutions, whatever they are, in cities and in states um, across this country, they have the way that they have always done things. And the reality is it's probably boomers who are the ones who are making these decisions. And, you know, the people who are in charge of the campaign are just doing what everyone has always done. And that doesn't mean we have to do shit that way. Right. And we can change. And it is the reality is people want to hear from people they have relationships with. They don't want to hear from a stranger, especially in today's environment where things are so polarized in this country. Um, it has become increasingly hard to have conversations with people whom you do not have any trust with. And so, you know, you probably changed a bunch of people's minds. And then if each one of those people changed a couple of people's minds, right, like it's this is like classic um, chain letter theory uh, just applied to meaningful civic change. Exactly. Exactly. I, I have one last question for you. You started this as a, as a hobby, but now you have more than 100,000 followers. You're an influencer. Do you consider yourself an influencer? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it's a badge I hold with pride. And, you know, I think that and again, I love Instagram and I think it's really interesting how we've seen people move away from the term influencer to creator. And I think it's like steeped in misogyny. But um, 
you know, I definitely consider myself an influencer because my goal every day is to influence and persuade people. And I think that there's everyone who has this platform is also an influencer in their, you know, of the people that they they who follow them. Right. Like of the people who are in their community. And that's might be online. That might be their mother. Uh, A lot of women I know have changed their dad's voting uh, patterns because of conversations like they have that influence. Um, You know, I am very, very proud to hold the badge of an influencer. And I, too, want a Rothy's sponsorship because I love those fucking shoes. Same. I would really like Rothy's to sponsor this podcast. And I would also like Def, like certain brands of period panties to uh, sponsor this podcast. I mean, like they're, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that one of the interesting things that has happened on Instagram, right, is that it has become like everything, right? Like it has it has become sort of disaggregated. And I remember in like the the early days of Instagram where it was just like cool girls and they were telling us what they bought and it was so exciting. And then those cool girls needed to get paid. And then they started telling us what stuff they liked, uh, i.e. people who paid them to do it. And I totally get that. But I think that there's still lots of people like you can find people constantly focus on those influencers, right? Like people with four million followers Um, but or one million, whatever. But there's also lots of people like me on the Internet who have like 100 to 200,000 followers, right? Like are continually posting about actual things that they actually like and sharing their actual views. And there's people with more followers who are still doing that. So I think that, you know, we, the conversations about influencers have largely moved towards only focusing on sort of like the worst offenders. Um, But there are lots and lots of people doing really, really interesting things. Lots of women of color who are speaking out about really, really important issues. And we have the opportunity to listen to them through this incredible platform in a way that like I sitting in my house alone working day in, day out would never have had the opportunity to hear from these people. And I get to while continuing to sit in my house. I love that. And same, same here. And also not just while sitting in my house, but while being way more present for three kids under the age of seven. And I've been breeding for three years. And have still had this opportunity through podcasts, through social media, to have a platform that I would not have otherwise and, and get, still get to see my kids. Let's, let's connect it back to the beginning, which is, you know, what's incredibly important for people who want to have a dictatorial control over the political process in this country so that they can pollute rivers and pay less taxes is the people who would not vote for them to be disenfranchised. And one of the key aspects of getting disenfranchised is having like less access to information, right? Like the Republicans, like the Koch brothers would love nothing more than for women to not have access to political information that could radicalize them to become politically active Democrats. And I saw Charlie Kirk post. Charlie Kirk is a big uh, Republican uh, conservative MAGA influencer. He runs Turning. He was the founder of Turning Point USA. And I saw him post something uh, recently where he was like, we're going to outbreed them. We're going to raise all of the, we're all going to have tons and tons of kids. We're going to be like the Mormons. And how are they ever going to have any more Democrats if they aren't breeding us, breeding like us? And I was like, where do you think that all Democrats come from? Like, do you think Democrats only come from Democrats? But the thing is, it's not only about them breeding. It's about them then 
limiting those kids' access to information, right? Making sure that they only go to schools where they're only presented the information. And this is where we get into the book bans. We get into the uh, killing of public education in this country. We get into their campaign against colleges because, of course, colleges and learning things creates Democrats um, and all of this stuff. So I think that one of the things that social media offers is the opportunity to get information out there to help raise consciousnesses in a way that is limitless. And for busy moms who are busy raising children, which is a full-time fucking job, and then they probably still have to have a full-time job because it's hard to afford to live in this country right now, um, it's a way to make it really easy for them to get information in a way that's not overly taxing and can fit into their life. I, I can't put it any better. That's, that is perfect. That is a perfect description. And we can, we can end on that. Will you tell everyone where to find you in their phones? Please follow me on Instagram at Emily in your phone. And I also have a Substack, which every single day I promise that I will restart and re-engage because I have lots and lots of things that I think of that I want to tell everyone every single day. But the question is, can I find the time to do it? <laughs> right? I mean, I, I actually, I, I do love Substack and I love, we, I have a Substack called Over the Influence and it's been awesome. And I will tell you, I write most of them on my phone while in transit or in the bathroom or like after my kids are when my kids are going to sleep and they make me lay on the couch for 10 minutes. And uh, that is that is how I am finding the time to write them. Yours should be Joe from the toilet. Joe from the toilet. Joe, you know what? Oh, that would go fucking viral. Mm. I already <laughs> maybe see, in a I bad already way. see the cover photo. You know what? Here's the thing uh, on the Internet. There is no bad way, right? There is no bad way. No bad way. Will that sell books? Fine. I'll do it. That's all we've got for today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. If you're not already following Emily, please follow Emily. Please have her be in your phone too because you need her. You need her. She's going to make you so much smarter and so much better informed. Thank me later. Thank me later. And remember, you can always thank me by pre-ordering the Sicilian inheritance. You can. See how I slid that in there? Just slid it in. Not so casually. As always, pre-order the book and you get a lifetime subscription to our Substack over the influence. And if you love this show, leave it a review because the trolls have, and the trolls don't like me. They don't. Share it with a friend. And now please go have a great day because you deserve it. You deserve all the good things. Later, Gators.